Today on Bonded Voices, we discuss, does your doctor really listen to you? With special guest, Dr. Sabir. I think we've all had instances where we've gone to the doctor and we've walked out as like, did we really get what we came for? I don't know. This is Lauren. I'm Ian. I'm Greg. And I guess I'm the guest today, Sabir. <laughs> I know that like I've had, you know, four kids. We're in the doctor all the time. And a lot of times it's, you just go in, you come out and you're like, did I really get what we we needed or telling enough information or is the doctor already predisposed to what's wrong with us? So I actually had a friend one time that, that uh, was the chief of an ER and he used to say, whatever the last diagnosis was, that's what the next diagnosis is. So if two people come in with a cough, well, that's what he would say. Like if they both present with coughs, one, the first guy was diagnosed with bronchitis, the, even though it may be asthma for the second guy, it's, it'll be diagnosed with asthma. So Maybe. I mean, certain, I, I think different doctors are going to handle things a little bit differently. This time of the year, especially when we're, extremely busy it's our winter season there's lots of uh, flu rsv um strep throat whatever illnesses and then we're also trying to balance that with our well checkups and vaccinations and special needs kids and so on we get pretty busy so it's it's really nice if the patients have like a list of questions that they have already written down because that I find that very helpful. See that we actually discussed discuss that is to something to ask you was is it better to go in with um, Johnny got this last night and he threw up at three in the morning and then the rash came at five and come in with all those details. What would be a good list of questions? To yeah, with right. Us? I think the list of questions would be really what whatever it is that you want to find out. I'm a pretty open person with however much time people might need or questions they might need answered. I just, I think it's a little bit awkward when we just sit there and stare and the parent, because <laughs> I'm a pediatrician, so when the parent sits there and is like, well, um, you guess. I think <laughs> I have this question. And that's when I've, you know, I'm in a little bit of a rush because I have so many patients. I've double booked. And... It just slow, slows things down. But the parents that have a long list, even if it takes me a lot longer to go through it, I appreciate it, and I, I'm usually able to help those parents out by answering all their questions and concerns. And I feel that they're happier when they leave the office, like you were saying, um, you know, after you leave, leave there. So, But coming in, like I was saying, with a list of symptoms, or the symptoms you think they've had in the last leading up to coming is that helpful or not no i wouldn't do a list for that so for the symptoms usually as doctors we can diagnose things rather quickly and we oftentimes will have the questions because parents will kind of perseverate and tell me things like oh we've had a fever at at eight o'clock and then we took tylenol the fever went down and then four hours later the fever was back and in my head, I'm just thinking, blah, 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 because that doesn't really help me. <laughs> so I, then that I ask, like, are you having a cough, runny nose, <laughs> vomiting, diarrhea, fever, you know, rashes? What are the symptoms? How long has it been? And then I can kind of get a good picture in my head of what I think it may or may not be, you know, even before I start my physical exam. So the symptoms part, 
I don't know how helpful that is, but things like bringing in your medication list, um, bringing in things like any kind of special needs or developmental questions, behavioral issues, those kinds of things, if you have it listed, especially for the checkups, it's a lot easier to get those questions answered. But to Lauren's point, right, if RSV's going around and you've got similar symptoms, do you, is that leaning you into, that's probably where it's gone at this point? We call that tunnel vision in the medical world. And I don't know if like some of the ER doctors that you were talking to may do that. I, I don't. I personally, I try to keep everybody separate. Even if there are four siblings that come in, I really try hard not to paint them all with the same brush because that's how you miss things. So in pediatrics, the hardest part of my job, which I tell students and residents when they rotate with me, is you'll have 30 people look exactly the same, and then there's that one kid or two kids that day that have a pneumonia or have something different, right. and, and you can't miss those. And that's, that's the art of the medicine part. If you just throw everybody with the same diagnosis, you're going to miss something important. Right. Somebody's going to get hurt. So do you have it on the flip side? Do you have conversations with parents where you give them a whole bunch of information and they're like, yeah, but that's not what I want. I, I read it on WebMD or mm. this is what I... That, guilty. You know, yeah. well, I think we're all guilty yeah. of that. Because you know, we've all time. had cancer at some point. All the time. And I invite questions like that or research or somebody else's research, but... They have to understand that I, I can, I've also read a lot of things and researched a lot of things, so I can kind of refute those issues if it, if it doesn't sound right. You know, lots of times I'll ask, where was this resource from or where did mm-hmm. you get this information? Sometimes parents come in with good information and good research, so I encourage it. I just think getting the research from uh, quality resources you know, quality sources is probably something that's very important. So do you think that that viewpoint is you inviting someone to come in with, I, I, I researched this as perhaps what we think. Can you give us some insight? I can recall I used to go to a family doctor. Now he's since retired due to age. But when I would walk in, he'd say, well, what did WebMD tell you? like before the conversation even started. And so he seemed to not be as open to self-diagnosis for lack of a better term. Do you think that's just part of being a younger generation or just, I don't know. I I also don't have a problem telling people like, yeah, that's not, that's a bunch of garbage. You know, (laughs) like I, I I have no problem saying that. Uh, I don't not trying to be egotistical about it, but I know what I know. Sure. And I don't have a problem telling people that, 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 you know, thanks for letting me know that, but this is why this doesn't make any sense. Sure. So I think as long as that conversation's there, I think, I think my patients feel, or mm-hmm. my patients' parents feel like they're getting a good um, visit and a good discussion, because that's really what they want. So I don't like to just, you know, I don't want to belittle their... Sure. Their, uh, sure. their research either. So I'm guilty of my wife spent most of the time bringing our kids to the pediatrician for checkups. I would argue that she's probably better 
with listening and better with execution of recommendations? Do you find that uh, one one of the sexes tends to be better? Do you find that moms are more... Way better. Okay. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Some of the dads, it's, it, it is almost annoying when the dads are like, I don't know, my wife usually handles this. Because it's your kid, too. You, sure. You know sure. what your... Well, we've just what been damned with the same brush, yeah. But the moms are definitely easier to talk to. Sure. Um, in my line of work, you get to know the families real well and the kids. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have a lot of time wasting, you know, talking about their past history. I already know it. And sure. I know the families. I know what the mom does for a living. I know what the dad does for a living. Sure. I know, you know, what grade the kids are in. I know what sports they play. You really get a good sense of being intimate, you know, in their sure. in their family. So. Yeah, it's funny because I've had situations where I actually had a doctor say with one of our kids, oh, did you look that up on Google too? Really patronizing. I don't like to be patronized. And we got to the point where we're like, we're done with you. We'll just go somewhere else. You know, that to me is rude. It it, it was. And so I think it's equally rude when parents come to me and say, Oh, my cousin did research. We're not going to vaccinate. They're, you know, leaving their trust with me, with their children for the visit, but they don't even want to ask me to be a part of that discussion on vaccinations. Mm -hmm. That's just an example. I think, it, and I tell people, if you really don't trust me like that, maybe you should see somebody else. Yeah. So it goes both ways. Right. If, you know, they should be able to trust me with with what I have to say. And if they're not even willing to listen, that's not going to be a good relationship. But do you, but do you sure. think that's pretty common within the medical community, that sort of honorable stance? To say, look, I, I, maybe you should see someone else. Or is it, or most of them go, we need, we need the numbers just... Grin and bear it and just... I don't need any numbers that bad. No, no, but I don't want to have a bad relationship where there's no trust. It's not good for anybody. No, It's not good for me because that person's probably waiting for me to screw up or do something that's uh, observed as a mistake or whatever. And then it's not good for the family because they're leaving the office probably... Not trusting, so they don't know if they got the right answer, or they don't. Right. If they don't trust me, mm-hmm. then that's not really good for them. So it really, nobody wins in that situation. A, a buck is a buck. I, I love to make money, but I'm not going to make money that way. I, I'd right. rather do it with a good relationship, a good strong community base that I take care of, that trusts me, and I, I respect them, and and that's a good way to practice. So right. I would rather lose the money for that visit. So, so it really gets down to is having really good relationships, conversations and relationships with your doctor, not just going, okay, this is the pediatrician that's in my neighborhood, I'll go. Maybe you have to find the one that's a good fit for you. 100%. There are good doctors and there are bad doctors, just like any other job. Right. See, Mm -hmm. one thing I only understood in the last couple of years, and I I, I, I don't know why I didn't know this up to only a couple of years ago, that... There's only certain drugs that are actually um, cleared to use with adults that pediatricians can't use. Like a, a lot of the things like um, Intivio and, you know, there are Levitra and all that, you, ca- you can't use them unless they're, they're cleared for use with pediatrics. And a, lot of pedi- a lot of medications aren't cleared for pediatric use uh, 
through the FDA. Right. It's not FDA approved, but they're used off label all the time. Right. So if okay. it's an acceptable in the community to use certain medications, for the longest time, albuterol, which we treat for asthma, wasn't indicated under. Oh, it wasn't at a certain age. I can't remember. It's been a while. Right. But we use it still because we have to use it. There's not an alternative. Some of these medications, they're aren't studies where people are willing to have their kids as guinea pigs to see if sure. this medication sure. is going to work on them or not. But there is a consensus among the medical community, specialists, thought leaders in the country that will say, hey, this is a medicine that's okay to use right. off-label. Goes through more care. trials or whatever and gets there. But I, I've always wondered... Well, they can't get the trials. That's the problem. But they can't. Because there aren't, there aren't can't parents to willing to on. put their kids to test. Oh, I bet there are. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's <laughs> the problem, right? Go on, Ian, but I want to get back to the uh, question on the test. Yeah, so it was more to the communication, right? Where I thought to myself, did, did, the, the, did I not hear? Like, was I in there listening to respond or was I listening to actually hear? Did they actually tell me that at any point or did it something I just discovered later on? I... And again, to the conversation about oh yeah, with the, having that those conversations with medical professionals, it's like it's probably a bit of a two-way street. Some people are better communicators than others. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a our job is pretty taxing in many ways. We have to be a good communicator. We have to be a really good diagnostician and knowledgeable, or if or at least know where to look up things if right. you don't know that off the top of your head. You have to be efficient, <laughs> so you have to do it kind of quick. And then, then there's the whole other, the the billing side of it, which yeah. is the whole other, you know, side of the coin. So it's great. It's complicated. So I'd never thought about the fact that there aren't children or parents of children that are willing to have testing done on their kids specific to certain drugs. I mean, there are there are definite tests like with with cancer treatments okay, and sure. things like that, sickle cell anemia, things that are maybe life-threatening type of conditions where they'll be in study. So I don't want to, I don't want to um, mislead anybody with that. I just mean there are a lot of medications out there that are you, in common use with ki- with children that haven't been studied mm-hmm. um, under pediatric conditions, but they're sure. still acceptable to use. Interesting. I'd never even thought about. But that. there are studies. There, but those sure. are like for other, you know, St. Jude's sure. Hospital, all those places. They're all in clinical trials usually, when they're using those different cancer medications and things like that. I was going to ask you, like, when someone comes in and because we see ad, we're in, inundated with ads for different drugs, and we're all the lay person on the street. We don't know what those the real side effects are, the what the drugs are. What's your opinion on people coming in? I need this drug right here. I probably don't get it for kids as much, but I'm sure parents are still like, well, I saw this ad and I want this for my kid. I think it's something that I have to be up to date on and know what drugs are out there, what commercials and what's coming into the office. But since the, basically since the Stark laws took an effect where doctors couldn't get free stuff, free, you know, details to, to know what new medications are. There's a, a big budget for these pharmaceutical companies, and they used to give it out in pens or notepads or um, golfing or different right. things 
before my time in the 80s and 90s. But since the, those laws took into effect that you can't give those things to doctors to sway them, all they did was mass market this into the commercials that everybody sees on TV, which are very confusing because it says it helps you, but then it causes all these side effects right. sure. that they say really fast. So I, it's just um, it's just their way of the, using that money. So <clears throat> we've been very serious thus far. Can you share with us some um, some times where it's been beneficial? For the parents to shut up and actually you go through the process. Let's let's say that your patient is 15, 16, 17, at an age where they can readily communicate and where there might have been some weird diagnosis or something unique that came up where you where just allowing you to do your job rather than the parent saying but, 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 hold on, wait, no, wait, I think this, don't do that, nope, this is for sure this. Uh, I mean, honestly, the, every situation's different. The sure. situation you're giving me with the 15 to 17-year-old kid, if that's the case, I usually kick the parents out. Okay. So I can talk to the kid and find out a little bit more what's going on. Kids are oftentimes hesitant in talking about sex drugs smoking drinking rock and roll yeah, yeah all that kind of stuff <laughs> well as a parent what should we so if we're told to leave the room what should we expect so leave the room <laughs> well no i mean <laughs> put, <laughs> put the parents at you know ease right now like don't worry i'm not trying to if somebody's in a if somebody's in a life-threatening situation or they're suicidal that's something that i would tell the parents and most of the time i would first tell the the kid, hey, this is something that's really serious. I'm worried about you. Mm-hmm. I really think we need to tell your parents and or your mom and, and, and get her involved because this is very, very serious. If it's not something like that and, you know, the state of Arizona at that age, if they're having a STD or something like that, I don't have to tell the parents well, so you've got to be a, a bit of a lawyer as well at the same time as being the doctor. The you got to know the rules. And, know I, the rules, and I, yeah. I don't know them off the top of my head. I have it actually on my desk. So I always <laughs> look at it anytime I need to. Check. Are the rules and ethics? Um, is, there, is that a gray area or is that something that's It's always clear? a gray area. It is. Okay. It is a gray area, but there are certain laws. I don't want to kind of get into that because I don't have those... Sure. Yeah, 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 I don't no, want somebody to listen High to this podcast. Yeah, and yeah, say, yeah, for sure. Hey, he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, but we, but some of those things, you know, you want to keep, you want that, that trust and that relationship to be there between the seventeen-year-old and me. So if right. you have chlamydia, I don't want them to not trust a healthcare official and then go out and spread it to other sure, people. Right. So that's important that they know that hey, I'll we'll take care of it. I have to report it to the county health department, but we don't have to tell. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I try to always convince the kid. It's probably better for everybody to know. Your parents are going to get a weird bill. Like, <laughs> what is this? Why does it say? Yeah. Right. Media culture, yeah. you know. So yeah. you're going to have to explain that at some point anyway. Sure. So when interesting things happen, and I think that as society, we're all drawn to that. So what are some interesting situations or cases that you've had present themselves where we would be like, are you kidding me? Well, one case that comes to mind, I had this patient 
it was a, a six-year-old nonverbal boy with Down syndrome and significant developmental delay. Mom was uh, Spanish-speaking, didn't speak any English. So I was speaking my Spanglish, which I was trying, but then I was like, maybe I should get the translator just in case I'm missing something. And she kept telling me that, you know, he, he can't eat. And I was looking at the kid and doing an exam. I was, he didn't really look sick. He wasn't running a fever or anything. And I was like, he won't eat. And she kept saying, no, he can't eat. And that really struck me as that that was just an odd thing for the mom to say. Because most people say, like, he won't eat anything. Care, yeah. But can't is a different type of word, even in Spanish, translated. Yeah. Um, so I just had a hunch, and I, I sent him to the emergency room to get an emergency endoscopy. Because I thought, maybe there's something in his airway. And sure enough, they found a, a watch battery that he had stolen. <laughs> And those are dangerous. That can erode wow. through yeah. the through that tissue and, and cause like a hole in there. I'm, I'm not laughing and at the medical. No, side. no, I know. Like the amazing. And that was one that the ER doctor called me and said, "How did you know? Like, what did you think?" Sometimes in medicine, we all, all doctors have this, but you have like a hunch, and you just you just know something isn't right. See, you listen to those words, and you look at the kid like why is this kid acting this way he's not sick mm -hmm. sometimes you miss things too you know the but first time that happens that's a perfect to story to accompany the title of this does your doctor really listen to you right because otherwise hearing the difference between won't eat and can't eat yeah that's brilliant like that. so takeaways what you know give us some advice for people to listen to like is is there a certain type of personality? Is there a, a certain way to approach it to get a better visit to come out with like better outcomes? Is I know we've already given a few tips, but is there any sort of immediate takeaways that come to mind that you'd give? I think you should shop for your doctor and find somebody that you're going to trust and have a good relationship with. That's brilliant. And there are a lot of people that may not like my personality and don't feel comfortable. When I was younger. People would ask me, like, are you sure? How long have you been doing this? And I would tell them, you know what? If you feel more comfortable with a, with a white-haired doctor, <laughs> that's okay. You know, go see them because you're going to feel better when you leave. Now I have the white hair, so yeah, right. I don't have a problem anymore. <laughs> but I think that's important. I think um, being open and not, not being too hesitant, go ahead and be forward. Ask your questions. Say, hey, doc, I've got, like... Ten questions. I, I really have had this on my mind. Is there any way we can talk about it? I, I mean, I'm always open to that. I can't speak for everybody, but that I mean, you know, I, I will spend as much time as I need with each patient that has those kinds of questions. Because for every one of those, there's the 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 guy with four kids that comes in for a quick ear infection that is in and out and takes me like three seconds. Right. So it all evens out time-wise. So this is great because a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this are probably our podcast demographics, more middle-aged men, but they're fathers, a lot of them, right? So this is great advice for them, probably give them a more appreciation for the work their wife does with the kids and the doctors and things <laughs> like that. But one thing that, that as, a, as a takeaway for me is, is you know, we're in a hyper-sexualized society. Is there advice for 
social media, social media bullying, how to talk to your doctor about sex, um, any advice you'd give on those things? That's a pretty big can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I think of it as all intertwined because I think, you know, one thing triggers another in, in a lot of those sort of situations. Well, honestly, I think, I think parents need to bring that up to their kid. There's a lot of non-parenting going on where parents are relying on oh the teachers will talk about that oh the older siblings or the friends I really think it's important for uh, parents to be the parent talk about it when my uh, one of my kids came home and thought that babies were born a certain way from her third grade third grader friend's older sister <laughs> who told them <laughs> complete wrong thing my wife went and discussed everything with her so she knew she was a little bit disgusted but <laughs> didn't have any question she knew what was what the real thing was so she didn't really right worry about it and you don't want them to get the wrong information yeah thank you dr Sevier, for joining us uh this has been very insightful i know that i've enjoyed the information that you've shared with us today and i appreciate just the the openness of the conversation and really how how we can be better at our role as parents and understanding that communication. And, and thank you for that. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's been great. It's been nice talking to you guys. Yeah. Well, great. This has been Bonded Voices. Thanks, Dr. Sabir. I'm Ian. This is Lauren. I'm Greg. And I'm Dr. Sabir. And we'll see you next time on Bonded Voices. Hi, this is Ian from Bonded Voices. Each month we will be giving away $100 in gift cards to our fans. All you have to do is register on the bondedvoices.com site and solve the monthly puzzle. It's easy to do, no purchase necessary. Thanks for being a listener.